Well, good morning. This morning is a little bit different than was planned. Glenn texted Scott and I yesterday about 10, 10 in the morning and said, I have COVID, so I'm not going to be able to preach tomorrow. And um, so that was not the plan. I was not the plan. You'll hear about that in a little bit, but um, you guys can pray for Glenn and Jane as they both have COVID and are feeling run down a little bit by that. And they were on a bus as well, so pray for protection from that for everybody else who was with them. Um, <clears throat> we're going to look at God's Word. So although we didn't plan this, God did. And uh, I'm thankful for God's Word because it is sufficient for everything we need. God's Word can handle our problems. It can inform what we believe and how we live. It must inform what we believe and how we live. And so we're going to um, consider... God's words in, um, in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. You will want to make sure you have your Bible open. I, I have a PowerPoint, but I don't have the text of the Scripture in the PowerPoint. So you're going to want to make sure you have a Bible open. There is, uh, there's one in the seat in front of you or close by if you need one. Um, I, I didn't write the page number down, but you could, you could use one of those Bibles or your Bible, and I encourage you, we're going to be going through this passage of Scripture, and it's, it's long. Uh, t- chapter 6, verses 22 to 59. Mitch, how are you going to cover that? Watch me. Here we go, right? <laughs> but no, it, it'll be good for you to have your Bible open. We're going to walk through this passage. Um, it, it's a story, right? So we're going to walk through this story, and I encourage you to, to make marks. Take some notes. There's going to be things that you notice that are repeated, that are emphasized, note those in your Bible so you can come back and find them later. Um, We're going to look at this story, and it'll be familiar in some ways, but it's a conversation between Jesus and a crowd of people. His disciples are included in that as well, and I'm going to describe this conversation kind of like a roller coaster. As we follow what the crowd asks and says, and as we consider how Jesus responds we're going to be taken all over the place, seeing who Jesus is, seeing the, the faults of this crowd, and um, learning some things about ourselves along the way as well. So um, let me pray briefly, even as Scott just did, um, so the, the Lord will help us with this. Lord, we're, we're thankful for your word, and we, uh, we trust that <clears throat> you're going to help us understand your word this morning as well. So we pray that you would help us see Jesus clearly. We know that it's only Jesus, and, and we're going to learn that again, see that again in this story. And I pray that you would help us humbly consider this Jesus and, and who we are in light, of, in light of him, in light of you, so that we can be more like you and honor you more and more with our lives and, and ultimately, Lord, be lifted up and be satisfied. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 22. It says this, The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. 
Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So these verses give us the context of, of where this is happening and even the timeline of, of what's happened, right? So it, on um, the next day, it says, the next day. So what was the day before? Well, it's a story that we know as well, right? Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus feeds 5,000, well, 5,000 men. It was, really, it was really more than that. Jesus feeds 5,000. Um, they had retreated. He and disciple, his disciples had retreated. And this crowd follows them um, to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. A crowd had followed them. And, and um, it's a wilderness sort of place. And so they needed food. And they have a conversation. How are we going to feed them? And Jesus, as we know, miraculously feeds this crowd of people with the lunch of a boy, a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. He multiplies them and feeds the whole crowd. And this had happened the, the previous day, but, but something also happened that night, the night between the feeding of the 5,000 and the story that we're looking at today. Um, Jesus, with his disciples, feeds the 5,000, and the disciples get in a boat, and they go across the Sea of Galilee. In the middle of the night, Jesus, during a storm that had stirred up the sea and was frightening the disciples, making them work to get to shore, Jesus walks across the water, meets the disciples on the boat, and then they go to the other side and spend the night. So this is the, the day after all of that. And I have a map here because we, we, we learn of some places, right? We learn of um, Capernaum, we learn of Tiberias, we learn of the other side of the lake, right? So uh, this right side... The east side, where this white dot is, that's where Jesus fed the 5,000, on this side at least. I'm not sure if that was the exact spot, but on that side. So the crowd had followed them over to this side. They, they feed the, the crowd there, and then the disciples get in a boat and sail slash row seven miles as the bird flies to Capernaum, right? And the crowd is here as well. They realize there's boats coming from Tiberias, like they're... they're they're putting all these pieces together. They're like, wait, Jesus didn't leave with them, but he's not here. And now there's boats coming from Tiberias. So they're a little bit confused. And so eventually they get in a boat and they go across as well. Let's look at verse 25. They get in the boat and they go to Capernaum to look for Jesus. And when they get there, they find him on the other side of the lake. They asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. This is really interesting. I think it's really interesting, right? They, they get there and they find him and they call him Rabbi. When he fed them, when Jesus fed the crowd, they wanted to call him king. Right? Jesus perceives that they were going to seize him and forcefully make him king. And so now their, their tone has changed. They've seen something different in Jesus. And now they call him rabbi or teacher. And they say, when did, when did you get here? We could maybe read into this question a little bit, right? We could read that at surface level and just see that they're asking a simple question. When did you get here? But 
I imagine it was a little bit more than that. I imagine it was a little bit kind of like, well, why didn't you tell us you were leaving? Well, why didn't you tell us you were coming over here, right? When did you get here? Kind of like if you were having an argument with somebody or, or they do something, your spouse does something you didn't expect. Well, when were you going to tell me about that? that? That never happens to me. Um, as in, I'm the one forgetting to tell Emily something, right? When were you going to tell me about that? It's almost as if they're saying, we've invested so much in following you, why would you leave us here? Right? We, we followed you all the way to the east side of the sea. We, we followed you all the way there, and then we got in boats and we came all the way here. We, we've invested so much in following you. Why didn't you tell us? Well, consider Jesus' response. Right? He says, very truly, or your translation might say, truly, truly. He, he's about to speak to what is really going on. He, he's going to describe what reality actually is. He confronts them and he says, you only followed me because I gave you food. You only followed me because I gave you something that you needed. They didn't really invest all that much in following him. They didn't really care about what he was doing. They, they only cared that he was giving them Food, good bread. So he, he confronts them and he keeps on going. Look at verse 27. This is still Jesus speaking. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So Jesus keeps on going and he, he's saying something like this. You put in all the effort to come all the way across the sea for food that's only going to satisfy you for a couple hours. Why don't you work that hard for the food that will never leave you hungry? Why don't you work that hard, as hard as you say you're working to follow me for this food, why don't you work that hard for the spiritual food that I am offering you? The, the crowd's question, what must we do to do the works of God? That's a, it's a fitting question for a Jew, which, which these were. They, they were in the synagogue, we learn at the end of the passage. And so that there's this sort of teaching and interacting going on. And so them, for them to ask what work must we do is... It's a fair question. They're thinking like a Jew, trying to understand what Jesus is saying. What sorts of laws or dedication are you saying we have to give? And consider Jesus' answer. The, the, work, the, the work that you have to do is believe in the one God sent. Believe. It's an, an action of faith. It's not a work that accomplishes something it's an action of their heart. And, and Jesus, in, in this story, at this point in the story, he doesn't say, believe in me. He says, believe in the one that God sent. He's, he's trying to lead them to where they need to go. His point is clear, even though he doesn't say, believe in me, his point is clear that the work that they have to do, the, the work that we have to do to earn eternal life is not a work at all. It's, it's simply to believe. 
makes me think about 1 Peter, right? Peter would have been here for this, for this event. It's interesting to consider how Peter says things based on how Jesus says things. In 1 Peter 1, 23-25, Peter says, For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. It's interesting, consider how Jesus talks about this food, the, the food that endures for eternal life. He's, he's preaching this word to them. Let's continue on, verse 30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? What will, will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. All right, so this remember, this is a roller coaster of a conversation. So the crowd hears Jesus say, You you must believe in me. And so you can imagine them in the synagogue, sitting back, maybe rubbing their chin. Huh, that's, that's interesting. Well, what are you going to do to prove that's what we have to do? What, what sign are you going to give? Right? Our, our, our ancestor Moses gave us bread in the wilderness. What, so what are you going to do, rabbi, prophet? And, and we see this clearly reading the story now, but... Jesus had already given them the sign, right? He had already fed them on the other side of the sea. There, there wasn't something else for him to do. Even still, why would the crowd bring up Moses? This is an interesting question for us to consider. Jesus doesn't bring up Moses. I know when I read this story, sometimes I imagine Jesus is the one saying this, but it's, it's the crowd that brings Moses to Jesus' attention. Jesus talks about food up to this point. But the crowd says, Moses gave us bread. And so Jesus, like a um, good teacher, discerns what they're, they're really asking, right? He says, very truly. So he, he, he takes this connection to Moses and he takes it even a little bit further. Why, why would the Jews, why would this crowd bring up Moses, right? They were looking for a prophet. They were looking for a savior, a Messiah. And, and Moses is what they had in the back of their mind. The, the book of Deuteronomy ends with, with this, that um, there was not a prophet like Moses that had risen up since, since him. And so the Jews had in mind, we're, we're looking for somebody. We're looking for, a pro- they didn't really know what they were looking for, it seems like sometimes, but, but they were looking for a prophet. They were looking for a Messiah. And so they thought, if this is, this is him, how is he going to prove it to us? So he very, very truly says again, confronts them with what's really going on. The crowd seemingly remembers incorrectly what happened. 
they think Moses, Moses did this sign for them. But the Bible cl- clearly describes that God did all this, right? In the book of Exodus, in the book of Nehemiah, in the Psalms, every time that the, the manna coming down from heaven is mentioned, it's described as God bringing it down from heaven. It's, it's never Moses. God used Moses, but it was God. And now, Jesus says, God gives you the true bread from heaven that gives life to the world. So Jesus keeps going in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So here it is. Jesus says, I am the bread. I am the bread from heaven. I'm the sign. I'm the bread that you, you want, the bread that you really need. It's me. I am what you're looking for. Whoever comes to me will not be hungry or thirsty. Whoever comes to me will have eternal life. And the Father and the Son in this section have this perfect process for saving men. The the Father calls and draws those to the Son, and as they come to the Son, he brings them in. He, He does not drive them away. He gives them life. Everyone who comes to the Son, he welcomes, and he gives life. There's a problem, though, right? The, the crowd doesn't do the work that Jesus said they had to do. They don't believe. He says, but as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. The crowd hasn't believed yet. Hebrews chapter 3 helps us understand this a little bit better, right? Drawing the connection back to Moses and God's people in the Exodus. So see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by uh, by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Now listen to this. Who were those who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? Um, if not to those who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. The people of God who were lost in the wilderness, who followed Moses 
and saw the manna coming from heaven, saw that sign from God, they, they missed it too. They did not believe in God. The same is true of this crowd in front of Jesus. They don't believe. They have the true bread right in front of them, and they, they don't believe. All right, let's continue in verse 41. He says, At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that, had, that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can you say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by, God's, by God. <clears throat> Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The crowd, the crowd still doesn't get it. They hear Jesus say all this stuff and hear him saying that he's come down from heaven. They hear him saying, I am the bread. I am the, I'm the bread of life. I am the sign. And what's their response? They can only see the physical as Jesus is describing the spiritual, right? What do they say? We, we might say it like this, right? Isn't this Joseph and Mary's boy? Isn't, isn't, isn't this his boy? We, we know them, right? From Nazareth. He was the carpenter. How can Jesus say, I come down from heaven? They don't, they don't get what he's saying. And, and he's using a metaphor, right? This, this whole story is about a metaphor. Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. And when you use a metaphor, you're, you're describing something that has certain qualities and you're drawing on a couple of those qualities to, to make your point. And Jesus, right, is, is drawing on the, the qualities of bread Bread gives life, it sustains, it satisfies hunger. But there's things about bread that don't apply to Jesus, though, as well, right? You have flour or barley and yeast, right? Jesus isn't saying he's those things, but, but that's what the crowd sees. They, they can only see the things that don't apply to Jesus in this metaphor. They, they, they're not seeing what Jesus has talked about. They can always see what's true of Jesus the human, not Jesus the Son of Man or the Son of God. Jesus is a much better teacher than I am, right? He doesn't go down the rabbit trail that they try to bring up. He, he sticks to his guns and he, he points to himself. His point is himself. God has to draw you and you have to believe. I'm the bread and the bread that gives eternal life. Let's continue. We'll read the last, uh, last eight verses, beginning in 52. The Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Cannibalism. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood, right? They are, they're not just grumbling now, right? They're arguing. Why would, why would he have us to eat his body? It doesn't make any sense. And again, Jesus says very truly, you got it right. You must, you must do as I said. You, you heard me right. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he's, he's still using a metaphor. He hasn't changed using a metaphor. He, he's not saying that they needed to eat of his physical body. He's not saying that we do either because we would not be saved if that was what he was saying. If we needed to eat of Jesus' body, we would not be saved. There's no way that we could do this. Rather, what we are supposed to do is eat of what Jesus did in his body. Jesus sacrificed his body. He gave his perfect body, his perfect life, so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Jesus is the bread of life. So this, uh, there, we made it through. 37 verses. There's some realities that we can observe from what Jesus in the crowd, how, the, how Jesus in the crowd interacted with each other and, and what Jesus teaches the crowd, right? There, there's three, at least three, I call them life-changing realities. The first one is this. The point of Jesus' signs is always himself. The point of Jesus' signs is always himself. And we see that in this uh, description of the sign, right? In, in, this, in this case, the sign is the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus, in these verses, is giving us a commentary on what he did when he fed the 5,000. He's saying, this is why I did this. I didn't feed you so that you would follow me and I could feed you more. I fed you with bread so that I could tell you that I am the bread of life. The, the point of the sign was not to do the sign and prove that he was who he was. If, if we relied on Jesus proving who he was, we would never have enough of him proving it. We would never be satisfied with Jesus' signs and miracles. And that, that's what he tells the crowd. Jesus' point is himself. He needed them to see who he was. Jesus, saying he, Jesus is saying that he's the bread of life, and our English doesn't fully capture the way it's written in the Greek. And um, You can ask Scott about my accuracy on this afterwards. 
in the Greek, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, the, the phrase is something like ego eimi. And saying one of those words would be sufficient. Eimi, I am. I am the bread of life. Eimi means I am. It works differently than it does in English. But Jesus says, ego eimi. He says, I, I am. I myself am. Right? So many times in the text, he was saying, this is the bread of life. It's almost as if he was pointing to himself. This is the bread of life. If you eat this bread, I, I am the bread of life. The point of the sign was Jesus. The the point of the sign was himself. The crowd wanted a sign. They, They were thinking that he would be like Moses in that way. But Jesus says, I am the sign. I am the bread. I am the bread of life that you want. We do this too, right? We don't, always, we don't always think that we do, but I think we do, right? Even, even with understanding God's will, sometimes we, we want God to give us a sign that we're doing the right thing, right? We did that with who was going to preach this morning. Uh, so Scott and I are studying the book of Jonah, right? And so he's on the ship and it's in the storm and they cast lots, right? To see whose fault it was. And so we were, we were on the phone, Scott Glenn and I were on the phone yesterday and it wasn't, it's not, it's not completely random. We had some criteria. We had narrowed it down to Scott or me. <laughs> and Scott said, I have a coin. Mitch, what do you want? <laughs> and I said, Tails. And um, so the lot was cast on me, right? (laughs) How hard is it, though, for us to recognize that Jesus doesn't want us to rely on what he's doing in our lives. He wants us to rely on him. He, He needs us to come to him, to believe in him, to feed on him, to look to him, to eat him, right? Again, and again. it's not a one-time thing. It's, it's again and again because we, we're, we're not perfect. So how hard is it for us to see that? How easily we overlook coming to Jesus, even, even just by praying, coming to Jesus. And what he does in our lives, too, is not the point. The, the point is the fact that he is the one providing. The point is Jesus himself. So this is the first life-changing reality. The second one is this. Getting what we really want only comes through doing what Jesus really did. Let me read that again. Getting what we really want only comes through doing what Jesus really did. So what do we really want in life deep down? What do we, what do we run after? Crave, right? We... we as John 6 uses the words, we, we want to be raised up. We want to be exalted, right? And that's not all sinful, right? We, we want our desires met. We want our, our needs met. Even thinking about outside of ourselves, we want injustices cured. We don't want people to be hungry. We don't want there to be diseases Sometimes, sinfully, we want to be exalted, though. Getting what we really want 
is not achieved by doing it ourselves. Getting what we really want is not achieved by exalting ourselves. Notice how Jesus is described as the bread. Verse 33, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven. Verse 41, I am the the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 50, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven. 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven. So what did Jesus really do? Jesus humbled himself. Jesus came down. Philippians 2 describes this. He emptied himself of what he rightfully deserved in the presence of God so that he could be a man and humble himself even to the point of death, death on a cross, so that we could have life, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could be satisfied, so that we could be raised up. That's, that's how uh, Jesus describes what he's going to do to us. There's hope for the believer, and there's hope in eternal life, because Jesus, who came down, will raise us up at the last day. Getting to the point of saying, I can't do this, is exactly when we come to the end of ourselves and realize that all we can do is believe in him. There's there's no work for us to do. There's no work of God for us to do. Jesus has done it. He came down. We need to believe. This, This point of being humbled, this point of being at the end of ourselves is exactly the point when we can do the work God has called us to do. So humble yourself to believe, to come, to eat, to drink, to feed, to look at Jesus. Digest this person of Jesus into your spiritual life so that he satisfies what your heart really needs. And just in case we were tempted to think that we had something to do with coming to God, Jesus reminds us that no one comes to him unless the Father calls him. No one comes to him unless the Father calls draws him. That's, that's election. We can't ignore that. It's beautiful, right? There's nothing that I can do. That's, that's a humble place to be. That's, that's the right place to be because Jesus was humble. So the point of Jesus' signs is always himself. Getting what we really want comes only through doing what Jesus really did. And then the third life-changing reality is this. Jesus very truly observes what is true of all mankind. Jesus truly, truly says what is true of us as well. We look to Jesus for our physical needs. That's what the crowd did. That's what we do, rightfully so, right? This isn't bad. We have physical needs. The problem is we elevate our physical needs above our spiritual need. We also elevate the means above the source. We elevate how we got what we got over God, the giver of what we have. The Jews bordered on worshiping Moses for what he did as a prophet for them. And Jesus tells them that while God used Moses, it wasn't Moses who gave them what they had in the wilderness. It was God that gave them what they 
had and what they needed. And we, right, we do this too with jobs and other things. We complain that we don't have uh, enough benefits or pay because we want to work less. So we complain about the means, not recognizing that it's God that gives us what we need. Or we work more, we work too much, become a workaholic, forgetting that God knows and cares about every one of our needs. We must believe Jesus for eternal life, right? This is our need. This is every man's need. It's simple, but the crowd didn't see it. They refused to believe that eternal life comes through believing in Jesus. So Jesus is the bread of life, the true spiritual bread. He alone can describe our condition and our need. He alone can be the one come down to save us. He, can, he alone can be the one to meet our need for eternal life. He alone satisfies our hunger. So will you come to him and believe? Will you, will you come to him for the first time? Right? If you have not come to him, what's stopping you from doing that even today? What's stopping you from believing in Jesus for eternal life? You've seen Jesus. You've seen him this morning. The, the word that we read is given to you as an opportunity to look at him. Jesus wants you to see him. Not what he's done. Not what he hasn't done. To see him. And con considering this is hard. That, that's what the disciples go on to say at the end of the chapter. They say, this, Jesus, this is a hard saying. They're right. It is a hard saying. Some of the disciples even left Jesus after this. Jesus turns to Peter, Peter, right, and, and says, what do you make of this? And, the, and he answers in verse 68 of this chapter, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So I don't know if the Father is drawing him, drawing you to himself, but I do know that he wants you to believe in him. If you come to Jesus, he won't turn you away. If you come to Jesus, he won't drive you away. So will you come to him? Will you believe in him as the bread of life? Will you trust in Jesus' sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins and the resurrection, his resurrection, which gives you new life? And believer, will you come to him as well? Renew your hunger. Renew your craving for Jesus. Are you struggling with shame maybe? God's prom God promises to never drive you away. There's nothing you can do that will make God drive you away. Your security is not based on what you have done or what you will do because it's founded and secure in Jesus, our cornerstone. It's founded in what he did. We have this tendency, right? We have a tendency to either think too highly of ourselves or we think too lowly of ourselves too. The, the Bible paints both of those as pride. We, we think of exalting ourselves as pride, but, but thinking too low of ourselves is pride too because we're thinking of ourselves. Jesus tells us the story so that we can think on him God calls us to be humble. 
in our pity, in our self-loathing, we, we think of ourselves too much. In our pride, in our exaltation, we think of ourselves too much. And, and Jesus has given us his word so that we would think on him. God calls us to be humble, just like our Savior. So humble yourself and come to him. Feed on the bread of life, which endures forever, satisfies all of your needs. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you. We can hardly comprehend what you've done for us. You've brought us near through your perfect sacrifice. You've been kind and gracious to us. The people who are slow to see you, who are slow to trust you, slow to believe, so ask that you would help us feed on you. Help us come to you and be satisfied. You indeed promise this, and we trust that you will deliver us. Help us not think too highly of ourselves and, and humble ourselves before you just as Jesus did. We, we know that that is the place that you want us to be. So Lord, would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen.